you understand what Jesus has done? He has filled up our tanks with the grace of God so that we can run on the fuel of grace in our marriages. That's not selfishness. That's living for another. And we take the lead, husbands, in living for another as God intends. So glad you joined us for today's Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chapel. Today's lesson is the second half of a message about husbands and biblical headship. For this message, Pastor Brian is joined by his wife, Kathy. When this message first aired, the local community was required to shelter in place amidst COVID-19 concerns. So the chapels viewed this situation as an opportunity to share some important messages in a more personal way. You can find this lesson and many others when you visit unlimitedgrace.com. And while you're there, look for Pastor Brian's new book, Are We Living in the Last Days? With a balanced biblical explanation about the book of Revelation and Christ's return, Pastor Brian will help you understand the hope that unites all Christians. Let's hear now from both Dr. Brian Chappell and his wife, Kathy, as they share the second half of the lesson, Gospel Husbands. What did Jesus do? He reminded us that we were baptized by the washing of water with the Word. That a husband, if he is following Christ's example, is washing with water. That is, his own baptism is becoming clear to his wife and family. I'm devoted to the Lord and dying to self. I'm going to see that the way I conduct myself and the way this family works is we are going to be devoted to the Lord But that means I'm going to start dying to myself. This is not for my privilege. This is not just so that I can use another person. This is setting the example. It's with the Word. We're going to honor the Word of the Lord in this house in the way that we worship, in the way that we do devotions at home and with our kids, in the way that we pray together. We are going to honor the Word. And ultimately, you recognize that what the apostle was saying was that that he would work in such a way that his wife believe she was splendid, a treasure to God. We're going to treasure one another. And whether or not you regard me such, I'm going to treat you as precious to God. Taking that spiritual leadership where I'm guiding a family by my example of spiritual devotion, dying to self, letting my wife know her radiance, her glory to God, In such a way is is saying those old words of Joshua. I don't know what others will choose. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it is that husband's example that begins that way. Using my authority, my life, my privileges as the head of a home, but not self-serving, does not insist on its own, the biblical love but for the sake of another. Now, all of us in this society have certain decisions to make. We can say, is, is biblical headship just this social construct that biblical ancients imposed on the family but isn't real? Or can we say, through centuries and generations and across cultures, something intuitive seems to exist between men and women that That it's typical most of the time that that husbands are leaders in their families. 
And is what the apostle doing, rather than taking away that instinct, that way that God has made us, instead of letting us use it to abuse another person, regulating biblical headship so that it's actually being used for the sake of another person. That instinctive aspect of the Spirit in us, I think, was displayed in a study that was done by Focus on the Family some years ago. And here's what they discerned. They said that if a child is the first person in a family to become a Christian, then there's only a less than 4% chance that the rest of the family will become Christian. If the wife is the first member of the family to become a Christian, then there's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will become Christian. But if the husband is the first to become a Christian, there is a 93% chance that the rest of the family will become a Christian. How can that be? Because there is something instinctive, intuitive, spiritual in us that the world cannot describe and does not know whereby husbands are establishing spiritual dynamics for their homes. And what the apostle is doing is he's speaking to the power of that and saying to husbands, yes, you have a great privilege to be the head of a home and you have great power within the home to express what that is. But it comes as you live in a Christ-like way. When that is done, Christ's mission becomes apparent. You become the face of Christ to your spouse and to your children as you are living in a Christ-like manner. What? What are the reasons for this Christ-likeness, this face of Christ to another? And the Apostle Paul is careful to express that, having said to husbands, you have this great privilege of being the head of a home for the sake of others. I want you to understand, lest you express it in an abusive way or a take-advantage way, what are the actual reasons for your headship? And the first reason is just to understand your headship is for the glory of another to actually glorify your spouse. I read earlier, verses 25, they go on through verse 28, that a husband's role as Christ sanctified the church was to sanctify his wife, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives even as much as they love their own bodies. Christ's goal is to make the church radiant. And husbands, even as the head of a home, our goal, the reason that we have this privilege is to make our wives know their radiance before God, to fill up their hearts with a sense of the grace of God in their behalf, that they would know how glorious, splendid they are to God by the way their own husbands are treating them. You're listening to Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chappell. Our world is shaking with news of wars, economic uncertainty, natural disasters, social unrest, and personal tragedies. Now many Christians are wondering, are these the end times? No one seems to be able to handle a world seemingly spinning out of control. Are these the end times? Or is there to be no end to the madness of war and the sadness of a broken creation? The Bible answers with the certainties and comfort of God's Word. 
Pastor Brian will help you understand our times in his new book, Are We Living in the Last Days? This careful look at the major views of end times prophecies and the book of Revelation is written to comfort our hearts and strengthen our faith. Jesus promised us peace of heart in a troubled world, and you can understand and anticipate that peace through the assurances of God's Word in Pastor Brian's new book, Are We Living in the Last Days? You can request your copy of Are We Living in the Last Days when you go online to unlimitedgrace.com or by calling 844-41-GRACE. That's 844-414-7223. And now, more from Brian Chappell on today's Unlimited Grace. I think of a missionary friend of ours who wrote one time about the headship that her missionary husband expressed. And as a consequence, she wrote, I hate him. I hate him for the way he made me feel about myself. A non-person, a slave. I could never do anything right in his sight. I could never do enough to please him. And there are women listening to me right now who could echo those words. Oh, my husband says he's the head of the home. I do not feel radiant or glorious or splendid. I just feel put down all the time. It's so easy to move from an understanding of God has given me the privilege of being the head of the home to slide without even perceiving it into using people rather than bless them. And Kathy, we know some of that. During our first year of marriage, we lived on four part-time jobs in a very small house with a very little bank account. At one point, our old second-hand Kenmore wash machine died, and when I told Brian about it, he asked me to call a repairman, and then he left for work. When Brian got home that evening, he asked what the repairman had said, and I said, well, I didn't get around to calling him, and he said, okay, well, be sure and call him tomorrow. And tomorrow was the same story. I just, oh, I forgot, I didn't get around to calling him, and This went on for several days until Brian, in exasperation, finally said, what's the problem? Why are you not calling the repairman? And that's when I broke into tears of embarrassment and shame. I felt inadequate. I felt unable. I was afraid I would do it wrong, cost us money we did not have. I was afraid I would fail. Now, Kathy, we do this in different marriage conferences. She tells that with some embarrassment. I tell it, she tells it, and I feel pain. And, and the reason I feel pain is because you must know how an intelligent a lady is. You know, she made a lot better grades than I did in college. And she was the outstanding musician in her university two years in a row. I mean, this is an amazingly able woman. But I had to say to myself, my word, Kathy, how is it that after only being married to me for a year, you feel so incapable that you cannot call a repairman. And I, and I thought back to the marriage in which I grew up, in which so often 
My mom felt inadequate and insignificant and wondered what had I picked up that I was doing to my own life. I didn't understand it entirely. It was a pattern of growth. I will tell you this isn't very spiritual. <laughs> the thing that got through to me was, was thinking in my grandmother's house, there, there was this old, this is terrible theology, this old Victorian <laughs> photograph, not photograph, picture. And the picture is of uh, a boy at the wheel of a great ship that's at storm. And uh, the winds are tearing apart the sails and the waves are coming over the bow of the ship. And the boy at the great steering wheel of the ship looks totally confident. And the reason is because also pictured in that Victorian painting is the image of Jesus with his hand on the boy's shoulder. And the subtext is always, Jesus is my co-pilot. And the message was, when, when Jesus is present with us, we never feel more confident, more strong. And I had to ask, why is it that when I am with my wife, she never feels less confident or strong? That she's a perfectly capable driver until I'm in the car. That she's perfectly confident in conversation until I join the conversation. And we had to go down a path of the dynamics between us where I was undermining her in ways that I didn't fully understand by living for myself rather than glorifying her. Now, things have changed a little bit. You want me to brag on you? You're going to brag on you. Oh, you brag on me. I like it. (laughs) So, So... Some years later, the washer broke again. Different washer. Different washer. Still broke. Still broke. So the same wife who wouldn't call the repairman takes it apart, identifies the part that's wrong, (laughs) calls the shop, orders the part, goes and picks it up and repairs it herself, just as she did with our water softener (laughs) about five weeks ago here. And I said, what a woman, you know. And, And she is. But I recognize how easy it is to go in that evil math that builds me up by tearing her down. And ultimately what that is doing is not only taking away the glory that God intends for her, it's taking away the wholeness that God intends for me. I mean, it's so important in this passage where verses 31 through 33, the apostle is saying, you are one in the Lord. That, that what God is doing when he says, if you love your wife, you're actually loving yourself. It sounds kind of selfish, I know. But he's saying, I, I meant for the two of you to be one. And if what you're doing is you're diminishing your wife, you're actually damaging yourself. I, I look at so much of how the Lord has blessed us and the privileges he's put in my life. But had Kathy not been the wife she's been, there's no way I'd be sitting in front of you now. There's no way that we would be the couple that God intended. We've seen it work wrong with men all the while saying, but I'm being a confident and consistent head of a home. And in those same moments, we're destroying not just their spouses, but ultimately destroying themselves. And we saw it in a parlor game one time. During the years that we lived on the campus at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, we would often gather with students and their wives uh, for fellowship and game nights and refreshments. One evening we were playing Uno. If you don't know this game, you 
you accumulate and then you discard cards in a certain numbered order. And as you discard, when you get down to one last card and you're on the cusp of winning, you have to call out Uno so that other players have a chance to block your play. Well, we began to notice that evening that Mary would get to having one card in her hand, but she would never call Uno. And after a while, we, we said, why are you not calling Uno? And so John spoke up and said, well, Mary embarrassed me in public recently, and so we had a conversation, and we decided that she would not speak in public again unless I gave her permission first. And our first reaction to that was, you cannot play Uno that way. (laughs) But then our second reaction was, oh my, there is such ill health here. And in fact, we later observed that without Mary's support and encouragement, he became his own worse self as time went on, became more and more selfish and uh, domineering and more and more depressed. He ended up leaving seminary, and we never heard of him again. He became his own worse self without her. By diminishing her, he had damaged himself. The two become one in the Lord. It's like saying, I can just take the air out of one side of the basketball and it'll work fine. It won't. That when we are called to make our spouses radiant, splendid before the God, to know the fullness of grace in God's life, it's wonderful for a spouse. That's our calling. But it's also necessary to be the persons that God intends for us to be. I, I think of what it was when my parents were struggling in my teenage years and how I just being a, a sensitive kid, kind of artistic, went on numb, just, just not wanting to be hurt. And then getting married on numb, becoming a pastor on numb, not knowing how to express emotions, not wanting to. Still, a lot of that goes on in me. And I look back and I think if Kathy had not been all she was for us, helping me to understand what it meant to love one another, to show affection, what kind of a father would I have been? What kind of a pastor would I have been? And I praise God for her and know that God put her in my life to water the fullness of grace in her so that I would know that same grace. Do you, do you recognize so often in our marriages the intimate is the path to the transcendent, the way in which we care for one another, the way in which we hold one another that's teaching us of Christ's own care for us, and, and knowing that, we not only praise God for his work between us, but we so much want to share it with other people. You know, if you say, what, what are the resources that God has given us to, to be able to be the heads of homes that God intends? It's, it's not such a mystery, right? It's self-sacrifice. Verse 25, what did Christ do for his bride? He loved her and gave himself for her. The first resource that we have for being the head of a home that God intends so that we are built up as well as building up our spouses is the willingness to engage in self-sacrifice. 
I will tell you, there are so many marriage manuals out there that try to say, here's what it means to be the head of the home. Who writes the checks? Who has the biggest paycheck? Uh, who holds the remote? Who drives the car? And it's just silliness. I mean, there is no shortcut to saying this is what it means to be the head of a home. The man makes all the final decisions. Where is that in the Bible? I'm, I am not saying that it's not important that the man be engaged and perhaps as the tooth work through things to, to come to some final decision. But that is not the first step. What, what does it mean to listen to another, to love one another, to live for the sake of one another? That's not a shortcut. That is living life under Christ so that there's this daily devotion of two lives to Christ. And we listen to one another and we serve one another. And ultimately the husband is saying, yes, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, and there will be spiritual leadership in this home by how we conduct ourselves. But ultimately it is saying, the man is saying, I will take the lead in living for another because that's what Christ did, which ultimately means that our resource for living as Christ intended is not just self-sacrifice. Ultimately, it is Christ's sacrifice. Do you understand what Jesus has done? He has filled up our tanks with the grace of God so that we can run on the fuel of grace in our marriages. That's not selfishness. That's living for another. And we take the lead, husbands, in living for another as God intends. And that can be a sacrifice. Kathy, we've seen that too. Dr. J. Robertson McQuilkin, well known as past president of the prestigious Columbia Bible College. He had been president for many years when his wife Muriel began to experience more and more the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. One of those symptoms was that she became desperate for his presence. And so she would walk the half-mile journey from their home to his office just to be with him. And then he'd have someone walk her back home again. It was a half-mile each way, often ten times a day. Until one evening, as he was helping her get ready for bed, took off her shoes and socks and saw that her feet were bleeding from all the walking. And as he washed her feet, he realized the next Christ-like calling he would need to make in her behalf. So he gave up his presidency. He gave up himself for her. We've told that story in this church before, and you may recall that after J. Robertson McQuilkin gave up his presidency, gave up himself for his wife, that people were astounded and some renewed marriage vows, having heard the account. Some wrote letters of thanks. And at some point, McQuilkin, who was struggling with cancer himself, said to his oncologist, why does this make such a difference to people? I love my wife. And the oncologist said, it's not unusual for a woman to stand by her husband in serious, serious health crisis. It can be quite unusual for a man to give up of himself for the sake of his wife. It is what Christ did. The Apostle Paul concludes his instruction to husbands saying, this mystery is profound, 
And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Yeah, it is a mystery. But the path is not unclear. As in so many aspects of the Christian life, what it means to be the Christian head of a home, to be a gospel husband, a good news husband, the path of such a husband is the path of the cross. As we live for another, we follow the path of Christ. And that is our calling, to bring radiance to another, health to our marriages, and glory to Christ because we are walking his path too. That was a special episode of Unlimited Grace as Pastor Brian Chapel was joined by his wife, Kathy. Please be sure to join us next time as once again we endeavor to put Christ at the center of our efforts so that lives might be transformed by His unlimited grace. This ministry is brought to you by Unlimited Grace Media and continues to be made possible with your generous financial support.